This is a Stimulus Network podcast. The Cosmic Shed. Hello and welcome to The Cosmic Shed. Today's episode, I'm delighted to say, is an interview with Sasha Sagan. We'll come to that very soon, but I cannot release a podcast with the world as it is today and just carry on as if nothing was happening. We, the Cosmic Shed, try our very best and sometimes fail to keep politics out of this podcast. Some things transcend politics. Climate science should be one of them. Racism should be another. Police brutality, another. Murder, another. The tragic events that have unfolded in the US in recent weeks, the systematic injustices and events leading up to and following the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis are not new, they're not trivial and they're not a surprise. They are deeply upsetting. Through space exploration, both physical and theoretical, the cosmic perspective, the overview effect, have enabled humanity to understand a fair bit about our universe and our place within it. Our planet, which we share with so many species. Biology has taught us how life evolved on our planet in all its myriad ways. It's taught us that we're really not so different. At least, it's taught some of us. Psychology tells us that we shouldn't just tell people that they're wrong, that they'll simply switch off and no longer listen. Well, sometimes I don't agree with the science. It's about how you react to being told that you're wrong. I'm wrong about some things. I'm sure of it. I don't know what they are, but I look forward to finding out. Because being wrong is great, but only if you recognise it and change. If you think racism is okay, or that climate change isn't happening, and that we're not, at least in part, to blame, if you think that what's happening to black people in America and around the world is okay, then you are wrong. I don't think I'll ever have enough of experts. I don't know if Donald Trump is an expert in anything. I'm told he's in the business of dividing us, and he certainly seems to be pretty good at that. Either way, I've had enough of him and the English versions of him. What's happening in the UK isn't okay because it's worse in other countries. It's still not okay. It's not acceptable. A recent YouGov poll in the UK found that 88% of people think the UK is to some degree a racist society, and 6% think it isn't racist. We have several ways that we can voice our protests. Doing that safely in the current pandemic is difficult. But remember what's happening now, when it's next time for you to vote. People voted these people in, and people can vote them out. Let's vote better. Black lives matter. This interview was recorded before the murder of George Floyd, and I hope that it can bring you some respite from the awful news that's bombarding us at the moment. I hope that maybe you're listening to this in the future, when the events around the world today are a sad and distant memory. Sasha Sagan is the author of the book For Small Creatures Such As We, Rituals for Finding Meaning in Our Unlikely World.
Sasha is the daughter of Andrian and Carl Sagan. And it is with great pleasure that I welcome Sasha Sagan to the Cosmic Shed. My book is called For Small Creatures Such As We. And um, there are elements of memoir in it about growing up with my parents. My dad was the late astronomer Carl Sagan, and he and my mom, Andrian, writer, collaborator, Emmy award-winning producer. Together, they really raised me with a sense of awe and wonder about the universe as revealed by science. And we grew, you know, it was a secular home, and we had some traditions carried on from our ancestors, but... um, The philosophy was secular, and it was wonderful, and it filled a great, deep philosophical and intellectual need. But what it sort of lacks is celebrations and holidays and rites of passage. And so I became very interested in that sort of thing. And then doubly so, um, I lost my dad when I was 14. And the question of like how you grieve and mourn without the infrastructure of religion became something very central to my life. And so um, I began researching celebrations and rituals and all sorts of ways that human beings mark change and the passage of time. And in that, I found an astonishing thing, which is so much of what we do is the same around the world. When you peel back the specifics of time and place and you sort of take away the set design and the script, And the elements of theater, the actual cause for celebration, the changing of the seasons, the equinoxes and solstices, biological changes like coming of age, these are all real scientific events that we're all celebrating. And so my book is also an exploration of that and sort of try to to lightheartedly explore some big questions like religion and science and death, but with a little, little humor in there. Oh, it's a wonderful thing. I've started reading. I only got it yesterday. Oh. But I, I started reading it. Um, what do you is, think so far? Oh, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, I'm not surprised. Thank you. That's kind. But it is a, it is a beautiful thing. I have to just um, declare myself, first of all. Um, I, wonder, I hope this is okay. Yeah. But I just wanted to um, read to you just very briefly actually the opening reading from our wedding my wife yes. and I, we got married and just see if you recognize it I think yeah. you probably will okay great which is as long as there have been humans we have searched for our place in the cosmos where are we who are we we find that we live on an insect sorry i'm getting a bit teary now. yeah uh, me too. <laughs> we're an insignificant planet of a humdrum star lost in a galaxy tucked away in some forgotten corner of the universe in which there are far more galaxies than people. The size and age of the cosmos are beyond ordinary human understanding. Lost somewhere between immensity and eternity is our tiny planetary home, the Earth. We make our world significant by the courage of our questions and by the depth of our answers. For small creatures such as we, the vastness is bearable only through love that's so beautiful that you had that in your wedding i i mean i think it's one of the most romantic things and my husband and i had that in our wedding too but (laughs) because my parents wrote it it, it's it's less surprising so i'm delighted to know that you included it in yours that's beautiful 
Oh, so it's um, their writing, their work has influenced uh, a lot of people. Clearly, I've just outed myself. Yeah. And, <laughs> it shouldn't and, be a secret. <laughs> um, and it, I'm so it's very early, as I say, into my reading of the book. But um, that that spirit is clearly in your writing as Thank well, you. which is a lovely thing. I just read the introduction last night, sitting outside. The stars weren't out yet, sadly. Otherwise, that mm. would have been really perfect. Yes. And um, I said to Jenny, my wife, after I finished it, this is absolutely wonderful. It's like somebody's got all the thoughts from my head and stopped them being a mess and then written them <laughs> in more beautiful words than I could possibly ever dream of. So that's how I feel about it right now. Thank you. I hope that, you know what? Just don't read another page. I think that's great. Let's just leave you with that very positive impression. And okay. well, no need to go this. any further. Yeah. No, it's, it's really good. I have gone further now and it continues in that vein. I just, so it is unlike, I think, any other book that I've read in that sort of amalgamation of lightheartedness and seeking meaning in ritual I don't think I've ever thought about seeking meaning in ritual so can you tell me about that sure um and thank you again I mean in the recent history of human beings religion and science have veered apart my mother calls it post-Copernican stress disorder (laughs) and (laughs) um we have this sense that they are opposed and that rituals and rites of passage and these huge moments in our lives, the framework for marking them is often religious. But I think if you go back far enough, science in the sense of exploring a true understanding, following the evidence to understand where we are, what we're doing, how things work, how the seasons change, when the crops come, what the animals are doing, what the stars are doing, that even very early idea of, a, of scientific curiosity and the spiritual, for lack of perhaps a more secular word etymologically, that feeling of the hair on your neck standing up and chills and being part of something grander than ourselves and that connection and that, that little light that goes off when you feel like you're part of the enormous grandeur. I think those things were deeply, deeply connected, and I think they can be and should be. And, you know, we have this idea, you know, we sort of malign facts as like cold and hard, and we have this idea that when we understand something deeply, it takes away the, in quotes, magic of it. And I think that it's the opposite. I think the more deeply we study something and understand it, that's a way of honoring it and celebrating it. And an example I always love to give is like you see meteorologists, maybe it's different in the UK, but when there's like a big weather event coming and the news meteorologists on the news are so excited. And these are people who have like spent their, spent their lives studying a science and it's happening and they are so excited about it and jazzed about it and enthusiastic about it. And I think that we can all have that about are the elements of existence that we are curious about and understanding, if we sort of get this idea that there is beauty and awe and wonder in the way things really are. And that's something that I think um, 
is so powerful. And then the next question is, well, change is constant. And we live on a planet where nothing, nothing stays the same and there are cyclical changes like the seasons and there are permanent changes like birth and death. And it's really hard to wrap our minds around them and process them and come to terms with them. And I think we don't have to look at it through a religious lens in order to say this is it's cold and dark and we need a party, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or like this is like we need like a really delicious food and to all be together because otherwise it's really hard to get through the time when the days are really short in the northern hemisphere. And so, you know. I think that all the celebrations that we've created or many of the celebrations we've created around the world are really just ways of processing change. And whether you believe or not, you still have to process those changes. Mm. So, I mean, obviously, one of the biggest changes that we can have is the loss of a parent. And a lot of people at that moment would turn to, uh, even if they possibly didn't have a very strong faith, they might. They might turn to it for solace. Yes. Can you tell me about that for you? As I said, I lost my dad when I was 14. Um, and, you know, he was sick on it. And I write about this. He was sick on and off for two years. And I still, I just didn't, I don't know. My, I just didn't think that he was really in mortal peril until the last few days. Maybe because I was naive being so young or in denial or because my mother is a very optimistic, positive person and, you know, sort of emphasizes the good. And, and I just took a really long time to wrap my head around what had happened. And I think if you, maybe if you're brought up with faith and then you leave it, it, there can be a tendency to say, okay, this is what I can go back to in a difficult time. Or, you know, if you just sort of stray a little bit rather than like a full scale rejection, but because I wasn't really brought up with that. I mean, my family is Jewish. And so we have Jewish traditions and we have holidays and things like that. When I take a DNA test, it's like, you are Jewish. And <laughs> I'm like, I know. Um, but like, it's not it, not a, from a theological sense. So like in a funeral and stuff, there is still things that we did for my father, for my grandparents that fit into this framework because it's a recipe for how to deal in a situation when you cannot deal. But I think that that is something different than belief. And everyone has to navigate those traditions themselves. And I think there's something really valuable about having an idea of what to do when you're in really struck in that moment of grief where it's sort of like happening in slow motion and you're not really experiencing it in your true self. And so I think that the, the message I really got from my parents about loss and death was that the fact that this doesn't go on forever, the fact that what we are all experiencing right now goes away is very hard and very painful, but it's also the reason that this is so special right now. And that if this is just a dress rehearsal for something else later, then this moment that we're all experiencing together on this planet is not as amazing as if it's not. In a way, there is an approach where the brevity of life and 
the fact that we don't know if there's anything else afterwards makes this more beautiful and more special. And then there are all these other things that are so astonishing when you take a step back. Like, you know, I literally carry on my father in this way where there is a secret code in my blood that connects me to him and to all these ancestors who I never knew. And when my daughter was born, he literally lives on in this way that is so magical if you sort of could learn, you know, for example, genetics and DNA in, in a way that wasn't like, you know, I mean, I don't know how they do it in the UK, but like by the time you get to like seventh grade and you're doing like a worksheet about alleles, it's not this mythic magical thing. Um, and I think it really could be. And I think that describing the ways that we really do go on, my parents wrote a beautiful passage about the written word being a magic trick and a way that, you know, someone who has been dead for a thousand years can talk to you inside your head. Mm. And like, there are things that really, when we take a step back, almost seem supernatural, but require no faith. And they give me a lot of solace. Mm. Yeah. There's losing your father at 14. And there's losing a father who's in the public eye at 14. Is there anything from that that you can... Oh, I mean, I feel very lucky for a lot of reasons. I mean, I know that I am extremely lucky. And one of the many the reminders I have of my good fortune, even with losing my dad, is because of the nature of his work. I have all, there's all this footage of him talking that, and things I've still never seen that I sort of keep knowing there's, I still have something to look forward to of him, you know, on the Tonight Show, you know, talk show here in the United States. I'm like, being interviewed and like what you I don't know maybe five or ten years ago I discovered that there was this on YouTube there was a footage of him being interviewed on the street in Ithaca in our hometown in my hometown holding me as a newborn like rocking me while he was being interviewed on the street and something that you know I was like in my 30s realizing that there was more of him and me and him together that I could look forward to. And that's such a specific thing. And I mean, now he died in 1996. We had like a video camera, but it's not like now where everybody has footage of everyone they love all the time. And I just think about until very recently, when you lost someone, you never heard their voice again. You never saw a picture of them unless you were maybe like extremely fancy person who had a giant oil painting or something. But, you know, most people never saw that face again. And I just think how how lucky I am to have so much of my dad and his work. Um, and, you know, yeah, it's true. I don't have any other experience. But when I meet people or people reach out to me on social media and say how much they still love him and his work and how much he impacted the trajectory of their life. Mm. I'm so moved and I feel so much gratitude. So I, I feel like all things considered, I mean, I miss him. It's hard, but I, even within that circumstance, these circumstances, I do feel very lucky. So you, you've been, are you still a TV producer? You're still doing that? Not really. I was, I was, that was my first, real career and you know maybe again someday but now I'm mostly I'm I'm writing okay so you're writing something else yeah I'm working on some other things yeah that's true can can you 
tell me anything? Um, I'll just say this. One of my goals, we'll see if it happens, maybe some distant day, but one of my goals is to write a children's book. I would really like to write a children's book of, that covers some of the themes in my grown-up person's book. Cool. That would be really good. What sort of age? Um, I don't know, like maybe like five or six, seven, something around there. I spend a lot of time right now, especially on lockdown, reading children's books as I have a nearly three-year-old and I'm considering it research. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. You've been a producer, you've been a writer. Oh, you are a writer. That's clearly an influence from both of your parents that there is, you know, there's science missing. Did you ever think about I really, yes. I mean, it's so funny because this is something that I, people say like, oh, your parents' daughter, like, um, are you a scientist or do you, would you, and I, it's funny because I've really, I think there may be a word missing from the English language because I love, science is my worldview and my philosophy. And I think of it, it's like every Catholic is not a priest. You know what I mean? It's like, I don't do it for my job. Okay. It wasn't my strongest subject in school. I'm going to be totally frank. Um, I was much more of a history and literature person as I remain. But it's still, it's the way I see the world. And it's, you know, it's something I read about a lot and I'm really interested in. And it's a source of a great deal of inspiration. But I wish there were a word that means my philosophy is evidence-based and science is the way I see the lens with which I see the world. And someone says, do you believe in X, Y, or Z? Um, I often say my position is I withhold belief without evidence. I just think, you know, to say, oh, I know for sure not this, or I know for sure that, I think that that's a different thing. And I wish there was a word for that sort of philosophy of just, I'm not saying I know that there's not a ghost in your attic. I'm just saying that I don't, until I have evidence, I will not say I believe in something. And that isn't skepticism. Well, skepticism just has such a, it doesn't have a very friendly connotation, does it? (laughs) You know, and I would like, um, I wish this imaginary word that I would like for someone to invent, perhaps us right now, it's like I would like the connotation to also be a kind of joyful enthusiasm about that which is supported by evidence. Okay. Well, (laughs) I just, I'm going to call it Saganism. That's what I'm going to call it. That's, that's... Well, that's, I mean, it's catchy. (laughs) I'll give you that. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it sounds like paganism, but you know. Yes, no coincidence, or not to mention Satanism. Oh, yes, (laughs) of course. Maybe it's a mix of the I don't want to get mixed up with that, but I mean. Okay, so this thing that's distracting me is this. Gar Sagan's Contact, which is, without exaggeration, and no offence to your book, my favourite book of all time. Oh, that's so lovely. It's, it's just a brilliant, wonderful thing, isn't it? Uh, yes. And it says, it says in the very front of it here. Yes. Uh, for Alexandra, which is you. Yes, Sasha's the Russian diminutive. We are of that part of the world once upon a time. Um, who comes of age with the millennium. May we leave your generation a world better than the one we were given. Now, if that we is your parents, I think the answer to that question is yes, they did. But I'm interested to know your thoughts on the world as it stands right now. Uh, it's um, it's a very, very difficult time right now. I mean, it almost doesn't need to be said. Um, and it's 
very poignant that so much of the tension, at least here in the United States, is about science and how we navigate and assess information. And I just always think about, my parents wrote this essay about um, the idea of a baloney detection kit. Um, which was a p- baloney being a, a polite word um, for something that maybe is more, more, more apt at the moment. This idea of how do we discern what is real and what is true? Not what feels good, not what we want to be true, not what makes us feel important, but what is actually provably true outside of our experience. And it's a list, it's easily Googled for those of you who are interested about how to assess what is real and what is true. And um, I think that if we lived in a world where kids in school were taught that and, and where questioning was encouraged, that's one of the greatest gifts my parents gave me was that they loved questions. They loved difficult questions. They loved when I asked them a question that they didn't know the answer to. They were not afraid to say, I don't know. They were not afraid to say, let's go look that up. And I think that that is really powerful from a very young age. If we can say, wait a second, why is this like this? Or is it, how do you know that this is true, this thing you told me? Or, you know, these really deep philosophical questions that all children have. I mean, it's a cliche of like the toddler, like why, 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 why? But it's so important and it's so powerful. And I think that it's discouraged. It gets discouraged. I mean, parents get annoyed, but also they don't want to ask themselves deep, difficult questions. And so people grow up without a clear way to discern what's real and what's not. And right now, you know, in this moment where medical science is the pathway out of a very serious, deadly situation, we need a world who's willing to follow the evidence. The more that we raise a generation of children who have a clear understanding of how to do that and who are not afraid to ask hard questions um, and sometimes uncomfortable questions, I think, I think that's the pathway into into a better future. If you have a worldview, has there been anything throughout your life that's made you question it? Oh, yeah. And I think that's really important. I mean, everyone has had a like a coincidence or like a moment where you're like, uh, is this some kind of coded message that I'm supposed to be receiving? I mean, I can, everyone can, I can list, you know, five times in my life where you know, you look at the person you're with and you're like, "Uh oh, like there's a glitch in the matrix or whatever, you know, like there is something here. And like, of course, we all have those moments and, the, you know, the things that seem so uncannily perfect or so astonishing that you think, how can this be? And in the vein of questioning, I allow myself to question, you know, what if I'm wrong? What if there is some other thing going on? And my position is, a couple of things. One is, statistically, sometimes it has to line up. If you have X many thousand thoughts a day and, you know, you run into however many people or get however many phone calls, over the course of decades, it's going to line up sometimes. It just has to. Somebody wins the lottery. 
but it's still amazing and poetic and dramatic and worthy of telling the story for five years about all the time that this happened. But I think that, you know, if there is something else that we do not understand at work in our lives, I mean, surely there are things that we do not understand at work in our lives, but if there's something that sort of falls into the category of what now would be considered religious or spiritual or supernatural, when we understand it, it will switch over. There will be an explanation. And there are so many things over the course of human history that have gone from having supernatural explanations. And then we actually started to study it and look at the evidence. And now, I mean, a lot of mental health issues fall into this category. I mean, having visions, all of these things that, you know, now there are explanations for, or just like for millennia, we understood people had gotten this idea that the tides and the moon were connected. But we didn't know how. And, you know, the moon goddess or, um, you know, a million different explanations of what was going on. And then Newton comes along and we understand gravity and then it makes sense. And it's still special and beautiful that the moon controls the tides, even though we know how now. And whatever we glean in the future that right now we have sort of vague spiritual or supernatural explanations for or we have all different explanations for around the world if there is a connection, if there is something really at work there, we will eventually be able to understand it more deeply. And I think when we do, I just hope the magic of it, our joy that we derive from, let's say, the unbelievable coincidence uh, doesn't go away just because there's a really clear explanation. This book, I love it. Um, I just, what, how do you feel about it? I love it. I love it. And it's so interesting to me because it's the only work of fiction my dad ever published. My parents set out to make a movie and it took a really long time. And in the course of the time it took, it was just faster to write a novel. And so they, they wrote this novel together. Um, I mean, they collaborated on everything. My dad died while they were filming the movie. He didn't, he didn't ever saw the finished product. And, you know, as with all things, the movie and the book are different. And there are elements of both that are really powerful. And I just think the book is such a deep exploration of our understanding of religion and science and where we are in the universe and what our ways of getting deep answers are and um it moves me and it's and it's something that i really i'm really grateful that there is this story i think of all the nonfiction that my parents wrote together is very powerful and moving and, and it's so good that it has so many elements of what fiction can have emotionally but to have one one thing that's that's a story that's almost like a fairy tale in a strange way is so so powerful and i mean it's also you know the story of a woman who loses her father when she's young which of course when they wrote that they didn't know that that was what was going to happen but to have a book that's dedicated to me with that little element of prophecy in it is i mean it's makes me emotional thinking about it how many times have you read it? Two or three times. I'm probably due for another read of it, actually. You're inspiring okay. me to pick it okay. back up. Yeah. 
I'd be interested to know when you do where it is for you now because yeah. you know because it is it is that central thing the the father daughter relationship right that's that's the thing that's that's why I like apart from the radio astronomy yes it's the, <laughs> the worldview um the scientist yes. in, in it it's um it's it's that father daughter did, did you see interstellar yes oh my god and I was I went to the premiere actually <laughs> and it was my birthday oh. and I just wept uncontrollably the entire time made a huge scene no i think i kept it together i mean i was trying to be quiet i mean um but i'm kind of loud in general so i don't know how i did and it was like so that was actually one of those things there were like a couple other elements of that day that felt like you know the coincidences were just lining up and it was and i didn't know i mean the movie hadn't come out yet so i didn't i mean i knew it was like science fiction but i didn't know that it was going to be like that. And I totally was just like a hysterical person. And then, yeah, yes, I I did. (laughs) To answer your question, yes, I did see it. And and, um, yeah, it definitely struck some deep chords also. Okay. And are you going to write some science fiction then? Um, am I going to write some science fiction? Yes, that is what I'm going to do as soon as we get off the call. No, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know if I'm going to write some science fiction. I... I would like to write some fiction at some point, and I guess science will be an element of it. I don't know if it'll be science fiction in the sense, in the traditional sense of what you think of. I don't know. I don't know the answer to this question. No one's ever asked me this before. I'm going to have to think about it. Okay. It's not a hard no. It's not a hard no. (laughs) It's not my place to give you the answer, but the answer is yes, please. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm going to put it on the to-do list. (laughs) Okay, That'd be good. I mean, we need episode two, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sequel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If Interstellar isn't the sequel. That's yes, the, right. That's, that's the thing. So returning to your book, if I was going to tell someone to read it, I'd simply give it to them. Can you tell me why someone should read it? Well, if you're devoutly religious and you are all set with that perspective it's none of my business like do your thing you don't this I mean it might be interesting to you from like a sociological perspective but this is not like I don't believe it's my place to talk anybody out of what they already believe what I think I can offer is for people who are navigating a little bit of skepticism or a lot of skepticism um people who see themselves as you know quote-unquote spiritual but not religious who want to feel connected to one another, to our place in the universe, but want to do it in a way that is evidence-based and is a celebration of what we know is real and does not require any faith. I hope that if you do have faith, you can still find the beauty in the things that, you know, revolve around a star. And when we feel the warmth of the star it feels good that's amazing and regardless of how you think we got around this star like that is beautiful and i think there are a lot of things um that 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 people who maybe are trying to navigate how to carry on some of the traditions of of their family they want to feel connected to their you know grandmother they want to make things special for their children um but some of the theology or some of the behavioral prescriptions do not 
suit them and do not feel like they're right for them. I think that this is a, a hopefully a, could be an inspiration for how you can draw from the traditions you love, but um, not be bound by them. Because you've talked about how important it is to get that kind of scientific worldview, questioning worldview, saganistic worldview into... <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to use it. Well, there's a, there's an Instagram account actually called Saganism. Um, is there? Yeah, it's great. Okay. And so, okay. I mean, it's I'm just saying there's this is it's a thing already. I yeah, mean, okay. yeah, I mean, it's an Instagram account, but yeah. it's not like a whole like let's get it school of philosophy. But to be, to be honest, all I've done is put a word together. So um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't own the thoughts. Where was I? Where was I? Oh yeah. So if there's the getting it in on that early age is important is totally the right way of doing it. But as it currently stands, it feels to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels to me like it's almost political, left and right, science and not science. And if that is the case, and it is, I mean, obviously there's grey areas there, but it is predominantly a particular political standpoint that is anti-science and a particular political standpoint which is for science. And how do you tackle that? It's really hard. I think there's something Michael Shermer has written about, but I think there's an element of it that's really about like how much you value authority and like how much that that is a good thing in your mind, like to have a unquestioned authority who makes the decisions and people follow. And I think for scientific discovery, the whole point is question what we think is real and test it and see what stands up to scrutiny and what falls away. And that even, you know, if you disprove what, you know, the current thinking is, you're a hero. And that's a really great thing to do. And I think if you're you're pursuing a scientific revelation, you know, of some kind, and I think that if you, that value is different than the value of having a single authority who you mustn't question, who is in charge, who knows better than you. And I think that that really comes, there are elements of science and religion that are just contradictory, you know, in this way. And I think there are ways that they're not contradictory and that they can coexist, but there are elements that really come to a head. And I think that bleeds over into all sorts of political arena. I guess my thought would be this. When people see themselves as like very traditional or like wanting things to stay the way things are or or go back to the way things used to be, I would say, you know, in certain terms of social issues, in terms of all kinds of things, I would say change is inevitable. Nothing can stay the same. That is the only true thing is that change is coming in all different ways in everything. And hanging on to things because they are the way they are, it does not serve us. So we have to envision how we want things to change rather than just letting them happen. Brilliant. Love it. Um, I think I'll I'll let you go. Um, This is so lovely. (laughs) This is the Cosmic Shed. It's just a chat. It's great. That's my ideal podcast to (laughs) be on, but also listen to. So great. (laughs) So what podcast do you listen to? Oh, um, what podcast do I listen to? I actually just, I have um, an old friend of mine who 
um, is a historian in the UK who, when I lived in England, I worked with, and he was so, his name is Greg Jenner, and he's so, was so smart that we called him Gregel instead of Googling <laughs> things. We would just ask Gregel things. Um, anyways, he has a history podcast I really like. Um, and I have a, um, I, I, I like like historical, you know, uh, ones, I, I, you know, some current events. Um, there's one here that a, another friend of mine, Rebecca Carroll has right now, um, called come through, which is about race, um, at this moment in American history with the virus. Um, but also in an election year that is so enlightening and so, important um but you know i like i'm also a big audiobook person i spend a lot of time i like being read to my parents read to me a lot when i was little and i i like that uh, so what are you listening to book wise then i love ta-nehisi coates and i just recently i was slowly reading the water dancer because i love it so love his work so much that i wanted to draw it out so i just finished that um i am listening to homegoing um, I'm just like looking through my things here. Um, I just finished forest bathing about all the benefits that walking through the forest give you that it's, and again, this is something that it's like, it's a totally, it's written by a Japanese doctor. It's totally a scientific perspective, but it is about like this idea that we've had for eons of like the magical forest and like how special it is and why it feels so good to take these walks in the woods. Um, so I have a tendency yeah. to read a bunch of books at That's once, cool. but those are a couple. Just, so at my day job, I'm a lecturer in science communication and wildlife filmmaking. And one of one of my students, oh wow, and one, of my, one of the students um, for their film made a film about uh, forest bathing. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Oh, cool. That was the wonderful Sasha Sagan. And I highly recommend the book. I have now finished reading it. I'm actually reviewing it now for Physics World. So I think that will be in Physics World, probably in the magazine, maybe on the website in August. So keep a lookout for that. But you don't need to wait for my view on it. Just go and get the book, probably more safely order the book and settle in and read it. I do think, honestly, it has the same sort of vitality as the writing of a parents and if you love that then i'm sure you'll love this book as well and i hope you enjoyed the conversation we'll be back soon with an episode on avatar the biggest film ever it's about time we did it thank you very much for listening the cosmic shed science fact science fiction and everything in between this podcast is brought to you by the stimulus network